Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. One wants God mad at them, right? Pretty universal thought that when we use our imagination and go, boy, do I want God to be mad at me? The answer is, Heck no, no one wants, we might have different opinions on how we can make God mad, but the thought of making a holy, all-powerful God mad is something that none of us want to do. Because we look at humans when they get mad. We look at all-powerful humans, leaders, dictators, when they get mad, what do they do? They do things that are evil and unjust and erratic, And so we project that on God, and we go, well, if the humans that we know are all powerful, and they do things that are erratic and crazy, then that's the way God's going to act, too. That must be how he acts. So we we don't like the thought of making God mad, and we're not sure exactly what it's going to take to make him mad, so we go, I don't want to do that. That's not smart to make God mad. Here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible gives us clear understanding of things and takes the mystery out of some of our greatest anxieties. And so the Bible, when you open up the Bible, it's God's word captured and preserved for us over so many centuries. And we can see, when we read the Bible, we can see the very heart of God. And we can learn what God loves and we can learn what God hates. And that's helpful to you and me. And so when we open up the Bible and we ask the Bible the question, what makes God mad? If you asked the Bible that question, here's what the answer would be. God gets mad at sin. It's kind of a simple answer, and maybe you've heard it before, maybe you've never heard this before, but it's kind of a simple answer. But sin is when I rebel against my creator. Sin is anything I do in my thoughts or my actions When I treat God like he doesn't exist, sin is me living a completely independent life and saying, you know what, I don't need a creator. I don't really care why he made me. It really doesn't matter to me what my creator thinks, so I'm gonna live the way I wanna live and I'm gonna do what I feel like doing no matter what the cost or consequences is because this is my life, this is my body, this is my universe, this is me. The Bible calls that independence sin. The Bible says it's a sin for you and me to worship sex or money or fame or power or possessions because God knows that when I worship these things, they, they, they kind of act like they'll satisfy me, but they never satisfy me. And he says, no, come to me. Don't worship those created things. Worship me. I am your creator, and I know how to satisfy you. And so if you ask the Bible the question, what is God mad at or what does God get angry at? The answer is sin. And if you ask the Bible the question, okay, Bible, is this like Google? Okay, Bible, what does, what does God do with that anger? What does God do with that sense that he's mad? The answer is he pours it out on Jesus. Listen, the Bible says God is mad at all of us because we rebel against him, we're independent, we worship created things instead of the creator who's forever to be praised. And the way God handles that anger towards sin is he doesn't pour it out on me, he pours it out on Jesus, on the one 
and only perfect son who bears on his shoulders the wrath that I deserve, the anger that God has towards sin goes. Now, here's the deal with God, though. He doesn't have like this emotional outburst. God didn't have a bad day that Jesus died on the cross. That's not it at all. He knew before the foundations of the earth that you and I would sin and fall short of his glory, that we would be independent, radical rebels, living our own lives, worshiping whatever we wanted to worship. And he says, I'm going to start a plan and put it in motion before the foundations of the earth to redeem you, to absorb the wrath that you deserve. I'm going to put it on my son, Jesus. It's not irrational, it's not angry, it's not unjust, it's actually love. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us, that all those who put their trust in Jesus are forgiven and set free. And so this is really good news, right? Because when you ask the Bible, is God angry? The answer is yes, at sin. And what does God do with that anger? He pours it out on Jesus, incredibly good news, that Jesus would take that upon his own shoulders so that I could be forgiven of the sins and the independence and the rebellion that I've done against Almighty God. And so now I don't no longer have to live in fear of God. Now the Bible says that I once was an object of wrath, but now I'm an object of God's mercy. I once was an enemy of God. Now I'm a friend of God. I'm a part of the family of God. And there's no condemnation that I can ever experience from God anymore. So I don't have to live in fear any longer of, oh, I wonder if I do that. Is he going to send a lightning bolt to knock me down? Is the reason I'm going through this bad situation because I did something wrong? My kids are suffering because I did something wrong? No, I don't have to think that way anymore. Instead, I move from living in fear to walking by faith, and it changes everything. But here's the one deal. There is a day coming, the Bible says, that if you reject God's gift of his one and only son and you go, you know what, I don't need that Jesus. I don't need that forgiveness. I don't need him paying my price. If you say, God, I don't need that, then there is a day coming. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment where wrath will come again to all those who rejected Jesus. I wouldn't advise it. I really wouldn't. I'd invite you to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and grant me eternal life because he does. And it switches how I live my entire life. So now rather than living in fear, I live by faith. And when I walk with Jesus, here's how my mindset shifts. When I walk with Jesus, I begin to learn the things that God loves and I begin to hate the things that God hates, and I start to walk in that. And so I'm not looking for bolts of lightning and wondering if what I did over here is impacting over here. Now I walk by faith, and the things that God loves, I start to pursue those things. And the things that God hates, I turn my back on those things with the Spirit's help. I want to show you this in the Bible, right? So we're in this series called Living Wisdom, and we're looking at different ways God helps us to live wisely in all areas of life. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 6 it's in the Old Testament. Turn on your electronic copy, paper copy, pull it out, following online. Super glad you're watching here on campus. And Solomon is the author of these things. And what I love about this passage, it's the only time in the Bible where someone comes right out of the gate and says, here's what God hates. He hates this. And by extension, looking at what Solomon says God hates, we're able to see what God loves and learn to walk in wisdom instead of fear, and walk in faith instead of fear. So Proverbs chapter six, let's pray before we jump in. God, thanks for your word today. Thank you that we can learn, and it takes the mystery out of wondering what you think, but you've preserved these words for us. 
so many incredible proofs that show us that this is your living word, that it stood the test of time, and so many people trying to destroy it, but we know with confidence that it is your heart for us. And so we come to you humbly and we approach the questions that we have in life. We come to your word and we ask that you would speak to us and you'd help us. God, today, whether someone's listening online or here on campus, if they don't know you and don't have a relationship with you, if they're living in fear of a lightning bolt or eternity in hell, I pray that there'd be something that is said today, a song, a word from the scriptures, something I say that would help to draw them to yourself, that you would help people change from death to life today, from fear to faith, that only you can do that, so we invite you to do that right now. We ask this through Christ our Lord, amen. Proverbs chapter six, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It's interesting, if, if I was going to write these words and start with, there are six things, seven things the Lord hates, my list would look pretty different than this list. My list would probably include some graphics things, some things that I think are disgusting or weird or crazy, but this list is kind of normal. It's kind of subtle. It's kind of looks just like you and me, sort of pedestrian. Listen again. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person that stirs up conflict. Seven things. Let's walk through it a little bit slower. Haughty eyes. It's just a phrase that means an inflated, proud view of themselves. A pumped up view of myself. God hates that. He hates a lying tongue, where lies, deceit, exaggeration, half-truths, some of the story comes out, but not all of the story. He hates that. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. And I know for me, when I read that, I go, oh good, there's one thing I don't do. Like, I'm not a violent person, so I'm kind of good. I can kind of skip this one, except when you cross-reference it to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus takes what Proverbs is saying and kind of explains it a little bit better. Jesus said, you've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, but anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of the fire of hell. So just because you and I haven't physically hurt anyone, Jesus is saying what you do in your mind, your attitude, is just as hurtful and violent. So when you hate those people in your mind, when you post things about those people that are racist or sexist, when you say things to a close circle of friends who you know are like you, that's violent, 
or hateful. Jesus is saying, and Solomon is saying by extension, these are things God hates when we do that. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked schemes, that when the motives of our mind and heart come up with ways of doing evil, where we scheme unjust ways of getting ahead at work, getting ahead financially, getting ahead relationally, when we're scheming how we can do some things, just twist it a little bit and make it a little bit okay or a little bit better, that that kind of scheming, God hates that rebellious, illegal scheming that you're doing. He says our feet, he hates our feet that are quick to rush into evil or a body that has no self-control. You just move, you do what feels right, you go with the flow, you follow the crowd, you pursue what everyone else says is okay. He says God hates that. And these first five things are interesting, they're kind of general, but then Solomon in verse 19 gets really specific. He says God hates a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. He, he goes in the first five, like these are sort of general. Now I'm turning this a little bit, and the things that I hate now are the things you do to bring dissension into a group of people, into the family of God, into the workplace, into your homes. I hate when you bend the truth, when you lie, when you slander, when you gossip and harm the reputation of someone in your community, in your family, in your workplace, in your school. God hates when our actions divide rather than unite, that it stirs up doubt instead of stirs up unity. When we undermine leaders and throw the boss under the bus, when we have bitterness that dominates our thinking and we don't give people the benefit of the doubt in our community, in our workplace, in our school. It says that God hates that because God loves unity. He loves when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. He loves when families are united and churches are united and anything that would promote dissension or division in the family causing drama and conflict. The Bible says God hates that. And so if you're gonna kind of summarize these things. You might say in sort of everyday language, these are the things that God hates. He hates when our ego is inflated. I have a big ego. Look at how great I am. And when I have a big ego, it inflates who I am and it makes everyone else small because I am big and you are small. And the Bible says God hates a self-inflated pride or ego or where we lie sidestep the truth, tell only part of the story, make things look good for me and bad for everyone else. When I think or act in violent ways towards anyone at any time, no excuses. That when I scheme or think or plot or maneuver in illegal or harmful or wrong ways to benefit myself in any way, he says those kinds of schemes I hate I hate impulsive behavior where you just act, where you go with the flow, you do whatever you feel, you follow the crowd, and you don't think. You're not sober-minded. I hate when you slander people in the community, when you destroy the reputations of others because you're bitter or hurt or because you've been hurt in ways you've not forgiven and bitterness crops up and now you take a leaders down, people down, and you cause slander and gossip or drama, oh, you are a drama queen, aren't you? You're a drama king, aren't you? That wherever you go, drama follows you. God says, I hate 
those drama-producing people that you can't just go and chill out. And you know what's hard about looking at this list is I am every single one of these, aren't you? Oh, newsflash. Really? Do we want to look at your life? You are every single one of these things. Oh, maybe not today, but you've been slanderous. You've been a drama king. You've been violent. We've all are these things. And so it would be easy to look at this list and go, well, if God hates these things, then here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna modify my behavior. I'm gonna make an August resolution, right? I botched the New Year's resolutions already, but I'm gonna start one today, and I'm gonna put out a list, because you're a list person, right? Oh, you love checking things off your list, right? Religious people are list people. And you might be religious today, where you just want a list of, I'm gonna write this down in my Bible in a really special place where I'm gonna make a list of all the things that God hates and I'm gonna hold on tightly and check off the list every time and I'm gonna to try to do this. Newsflash, you failed already. And this is not in the Bible for you and me to create a list of how not to live. That's not why it's there. You might remember a story in the New Testament, Jesus in Mark chapter 12. Someone approaches him and asks him this great question. A leader says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these things. Jesus says, the way you please God is not focusing on a list of things he hates. Instead, the way you please God is you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And in some ways, what he's doing is he's building on this list, and he's saying, self-inflated ego, puffed-up ego is not love. Lying, bending the truth, half-truths, that's not love. Violence in thought or action is not love. Scheming of how to get ahead is not love. Impulsive behavior is not love. Slandering others is not love. Producing drama in the family or at work is not love. These actions are the definition of what isn't love. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But if on August 7th, I did a sermon and said, hey, everybody, here's how you're going to live wisely. Hey, everyone, just love one another, right? You've heard that a few times, right? If you just love everyone, everything will be great, and you'll make God happy. You know, there's lots of people that say that, and lots of people that mean a lot of different things by saying that, but a lot of you would go, just love one another? Really? You don't have something better for us this summer than that? But here's the deal. It is true that Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would never tell us to do something he didn't do first. Jesus spent his entire life focusing his entire attention on loving God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving his neighbor as himself. And he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly. Every day, every moment, every month, every year of 33 years, he did it perfectly. It's not a checklist, 
but it is something we can look at, and I actually really appreciate that Solomon gives us this in Proverbs chapter six, because in a lot of ways it helps me to see what God hates, and in reflection I can see what God loves. And so when I think of what God hates, he hates a self-inflated ego, what he really loves is humility. He hates when we lie, but he loves the truth. He hates violence, but he loves peace. He hates schemes, but he loves a pure motive. He hates impulsive behavior, but he really digs self-control. He hates slander, but he loves honesty. He hates drama, but loves unity. And I appreciate that Solomon gives us this because it helps us to see in a more broad perspective what is it that God loves? Oh, yes, he hates this, but he loves this. One of the dangers, though, is when you put this up, again, you pull out your checklist and go, well, you know what I'm going to do? Now that I know what God hates and I know what he loves, then I'm going to spend my life modifying my behavior and being a good religious person, and I'm going to pursue the things that God loves, and I'm going to run away from the things that God hates, as if, again, you could do that, as if you could do that perfectly. There is only one person who has done that perfectly, and his name is Jesus. So this, in many ways, puts on display to us how Jesus is the perfect one, because his entire life, every minute, instead of being self-inflated, he acted in humility. Instead of lying, he had opportunities to lie, just like you and I do, he told the truth. When violence was being plotted about him, and when he was experiencing violence, in his heart and mind, and in his actions, he sought peace. When others were scheming against him, think of his entire earthly ministry. Think about what it's like when you're perfect and how many people schemed against him in the playground. How many people schemed against him in his ministry? Scheming, 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 and yet Jesus always acted with purity towards his friends in the playground or trying to hit him with a dodgeball over and over and over again and towards his enemies all the time, pure in heart. He was not impulsive when they were abusing him and spitting on him and mocking him and nailing. He was self-controlled instead of slandering those who were against him. He was honest. And that doesn't mean he said things people always liked. Honesty doesn't mean you have to kiss people's... It just means you tell the truth. You're honest. And drama, oh my goodness, this Jesus in his life just absorbed every wrath so that he could bring a group of people from diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives, diverse ethnicities, diverse everything, bring them together into one family together. And so you look at this and you go, I couldn't do this, but Jesus did. And that God would lay upon Jesus my sin because I did all of this and I don't do that and that payment of that all went on the perfect Jesus' shoulders, and he absorbed it, and he rose again from the dead, and why that's important is because it's so easy to just think he was a moral character that did all the right things, but by rising from the dead, he proves he's not just a moral character, he's the son of God in the flesh, 
By coming back again, he ascends to heaven and gives us the spirit of God to live inside those of us who believe in him by faith. So the same spirit that was at work in Jesus, helping him to love and to run from the things God hated, is available to you and me that I might walk with him and love the things God loves and hate the things that God hates. And so you look at this list, it's not a checklist, it's a total shift in our perspective in how we live and walk. And so if you ask the Bible, how do I live wisely in light of what God hates and what God loves, you make God happy when you recognize and you confess your sin. You make him happy. See, our normal tendency as humans is to hide our sin. It's shameful, right? So we don't want anybody to know, let alone God, as if he can't see. And when you read the Bible, what you find is the scheming that I have done to get ahead in my taxes, as if God's surprised by that and didn't know it before you were even born. And the violent thoughts that I have against them, and the slander against the boss and the church leadership, as if God didn't know that, and he sent his one and only son to come to earth to pay for that sin upon his shoulders. And I think I'm going to hide from God? No, instead what I do is I recognize that I'm sinful. And I bring it to God and I say, God, I confess to you I have a self-inflated ego. I'm pretty puffed up. I think I'm pretty great. And I love puffing myself up so big that other people are small. I confess that to you, God. I confess to you that I'm a liar and deceptive, and I tell half-truths. I confess to you that I'm angry, and I hate them. I confess to you my schemes and my impulsive behavior, just going which way to buy this, or do that, or eat this, or drink that, or sniff this, or smoke that. I confess that to you, that I slander people, and I don't give them the benefit of the doubt, and that I produce drama wherever I go. I confess this to you. And here's what the good news of Jesus Christ is. Any confessed sin is forgiven sin. But when you hide, when you hide from him, how is he to forgive that? But when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I take my true self and I bring it to him and say, I've not been humble, truthful, peaceful, pure, self-controlled, honest, or united. Forgive me. You make God happy when you repent of your sin, which is different than confession, right? Confessing is saying, I'm sorry I did that. But here's repentance. Repentance is I'm going in a certain direction and I turn 180 degrees and go to a different direction. So I have been self-inflated. God, I'm sorry I'm self-inflated and I have a giant ego. Please forgive me. I repent and I turn and I become someone humble. It's not getting stuck saying, I'm sorry I did that right here, do nothing, and I go back to self-inflated ego. It's self-inflated ego, I'm sorry, God, forgive me, I repent, and now make me humble, and I start walking in a new direction. I've been a liar. I deceive myself, and I deceive other people. God, I'm sorry, help me to be someone who pursues the truth. God, I am violent in my hatred towards those people, Forgive me, I turn towards being a person of peace. God, I am sorry that I slander. Help me to be someone who speaks honestly. It's this lifestyle of confession and turning from to. I turn from my sin to Jesus. From this actions that I know he hates towards the things he loves. 
This is a lifestyle of repentance, which is different than confession. It takes it to another level. God is happy when I do that, and he's happy when I ask the Spirit's help to do it because I can't do it by myself. I can't do this by myself. I could put a list up of I'm going to confess and repent all this stuff, but without the Spirit's help empowering me to do it, it won't be possible. It'll be just another list that I try to do and fail. But the God of the universe who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who forgives you of all your sins, past, present, and future, puts his spirit inside you to help you to become the person who looks like this instead of this. And so when I turn and ask for help, he helps me. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible if as followers of Jesus Christ, we looked like this? Instead of how many people are looking at Christians today and say, you guys look more like this. You just look like everybody else. How is that gonna change? When I walk with Jesus, I learn to love what God loves and I hate what God hates and his spirit helps me to do these things. It's not by accident. So one of the things when I look at Jesus, this is a picture of Jesus, right? These are the ways Jesus loved and Jesus didn't behave this way. How did he do that? Well, you go, he was God. Of course he did it because he was God. The Bible says he set aside the use of his divinity and became like us in every way. What does that mean? He didn't play his God card when people were violent against him. That's not what he did. He walked, the Bible said, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that helped him to love and look like this and not behave like that. And the same spirit that lives inside Jesus lives inside every believer. So when I walk with him, I learn to love like he loves and hate what he hates. It's not something I can do on my own, but his spirit helps me to do that. And what would it be like if those who claim to be followers of Jesus stopped looking like this and started to look like that? And it won't happen by us just modifying our behavior and making a New Year's resolution. It will happen as we own the fact that this is what we look like. And we say to God, I'm sorry. And we turn from what we know is wrong to what we know is right. With the Spirit's help, we begin to walk in that direction. And slowly over time, I can begin to look more and more and more like Jesus. This is how you live wisely. You don't live in fear. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to be afraid of God. He's your friend. He's your father. You don't live in fear that he's going to hurt you or harm you. Instead, you walk by faith that he's going to help you to become who he wants you to be, which is someone who is humble, truthful, peaceful, pure, self-controlled, honest, and builds unity wherever you go. Would you commit to thinking about this with me at least and stop your checklist behavior thing and instead go, you know, God, I, I need to look at my sin honestly. I need your help to look differently. Help me. And maybe, just maybe, incrementally, family, we could look more like Jesus and then his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. You see the plan there. Let's pray. God, we need your help to do this. I am a sinner, I am deceptive, I am proud, I scheme, I hate, I slander, and I'm sorry. 
Help us all to see the ways we fall short. And give us the grace, God, to turn to you and change and repent and be different. Only you can help us to do this. We can't do it on our own strength. You helped Jesus to do it, so we can confidently say, please help us and trust that you will. Make us into sons and daughters who don't walk in fear, but in faith. Don't walk in impulse, but in love. Don't destroy workplace unity, family unity, church unity, but instead bring unity wherever we go. Help us, God. We trust you. We love you. 